Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us going all day and what powers that mission is our people. And most weeks on Here to Help, I talk to different Indeed employees exploring how experience, strength, and hope inspires people to want to help others. But from time to time, I get the opportunity to bring in a guest from the outside to help shed some new light on what it is that makes people tick. And I am very excited to introduce our very special guest for today's episode. After being sentenced to several years in prison, Vincent Bragg quickly learned that some of the most outside-of-the-box thinking happens inside the box. During his incarceration, he watched as his fellow convicts were able to make something from nothing. Books, music, entire meals, all created between four barren concrete walls. It was here that Vincent realized the cells meant to imprison them for 23 hours a day were actually breeding grounds for creativity. Vincent is the founder and CEO of ConCreates, a creative agency that crowdsources ideas from incarcerated and formerly incarcerated men and women. Vincent, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chris. So let's start off where we, we always start these interviews uh, by just asking, how are you doing right now? What's going on? I am, I'm doing well. I think um, when we really think about this journey, um, you know, the, the, the bumps and bruises along the way have led us here. And, you know, I couldn't be more excited to be here considering, you know, Indeed's mission as well as Concrete's mission is completely aligned. Well, uh, thanks again for being here. Let's start for the folks that uh, don't know much about Concrete's. You're the co-founder and CEO. Tell us about what Concrete's is all about and what your mission is. Definitely. Um I think the mission, obviously, is the easiest thing to go with first, and our mission is to change the narrative and the stigma surrounding uh, people with criminal history, um, as well as to change the narrative and the stigma around how people with criminal history view themselves. So, you know, we are a creative shop. I mean, we are powered by incarcerated and formerly incarcerated men and women across the country. Um, we exist to kind of give these or radical thinkers, if you will, an opportunity to express, to express that creativity through advertising. Great. Well, let's, uh, go back and talk about your origin story. What puts you on the road to concretes? Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting how you pick up things along the way. Um, but you know, subsequently, I was indicted by the United States of America where um, I was sentenced to 121 months, which is 10 years, one month in federal prison for conspiracy to possess with intent to distribute 15 to 50 kilograms of cocaine. And what kind of led me there was really like this scar on my head. Right? I was working at this steel plant. And 
I cut my head on a piece of metal, almost died. I lost so much blood. And I tried to sue the company that I worked for. And, you know, in the state of Georgia, Georgia, they basically said I would have had to die in order to get paid. And so I vowed to myself I would never work for anybody again. And, you know, I guess with that at the tip of my mouth, um, moved back to California, ran into a couple people I used to know. And, you know, I kind of used to do music, was in the music space for a while, had my own studio. And one thing about studio and creativity, marijuana is kind of a an essential, I guess, tool, if you will. And so, you know, my goal was to take the little money that I saved up and the uh, income tax money, buy some pounds of weed and take it back to Georgia. And so I asked my guy if I could get five. He said he could only get two. But apparently he thought I meant 500 and he gave me 200 pounds of weed and basically told me there's there's no refund policy. You have to kind of take it and, and, and run with it. And so I did. And, you know, really just took off. You know, from that point, um, I ended up getting arrested. I had 100 pounds of weed and um, was an inadmissible search and seizure. Um, they had no business like going in and finding what they found, but um, it kind of graduated me, if you will, from marijuana to cocaine. And I found cocaine was just, it was easier, right? It was less bulky. It didn't require the same, you know, kind of strategy or, or, or measures, you know, to, to prevent it getting seized. And, you know, I just really just took off from there and found myself indicted a few years later, went to federal prison where I was able to really just re-educate myself, right? I was able to study law and corporate law and real estate law and uh, really, you know, just being surrounded by so many kind of like-minded individuals, we were kind of able to uh, reverse engineer not just our crimes, but but the skill sets needed to to um, apply into to a legitimate endeavor. And so the story kind of starts with Concreates, where my co-founder Joe Nixon happened to be watching Sports Center one day and noticed that uh, this football player, Joseph Randall of the Dallas Cowboys, had been accused of stealing underwear. And, you know, he wasn't really just uh, buying into that, right? He, was, he thought it was more to the story, felt like the media had sensationalized something, and he was correct, right? He found that uh, Joseph Randall's son had been going through what they call a terrible twos and really just took his son outside to console him. And they accused him of stealing underwear. He forgot to purchase the underwear and I, I believe some cologne. And we happened to be in prison with the founder of an underwear company called uh, MeUndies, where Joe had the idea to pair them up um, endorse him, you know, have him give away some underwear at some charity events. And it went viral. It became something that we were able to, 
see as a thought in prison turn and manifest itself into the outside world. And so, you know, thinking maybe that was, you know, kind of like a a one-hit wonder, if you will. Uh, we also noticed, you know, sports is really big in prison. So we also noticed that Marshawn Lynch, at the time he played for the Seattle Seahawks, kept getting fined by the NFL for grabbing at his crotch every time he scored a touchdown. And so we turned back on the magic, right? It was, let's endorse him, right? Let's, you know, have me undies, partner up with Marshawn Lynch. The thing happened where he just happened to go to the Super Bowl that year. And when they asked him why he didn't grab at his crotch, he said, I wear the most comfortable underwear in the world. And... (laughs) You know, th- those two two ideas kind of helped me on these two, you know, sell 10 mi- million pairs of underwear. And the idea came to me that we could do this for other brands. And so everything shifted, right? We started looking at each other differently. I didn't look at my co-founder as a bank robber, right? I looked at him as a strategist. I didn't look at myself as a drug dealer. I started to look at myself as a logistics expert or, you know, operations. And so... You know, tattoo artists became art directors and, you know, poets became copywriters and, you know, got out of prison, joined this prisoner entrepreneurship program called Defy Ventures, where I subsequently learned the, you know, kind of formalities of starting a business. And with that, the birth of Concreates. So I I think you, you, you sort of got at it the the germs of the ideas that that got you started here with with those two examples but what is it about marketing creative work that happens to be a particular fit for the 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 talent that that you're tapping into which is clearly in in this world relatively untapped but what is it that you saw why why of, of all of the different businesses there's a lot of logistics businesses you can go into you could bring those skills but what is it about marketing creative work that happens to be really an amazing outlet for for the the talent of formerly incarcerated individuals sure and i i think you know it kind of starts with you know maybe i kind of left out a minor detail right my drug empire happened to be worth a little north of 300 million and when you think about the difference between, say, a, a legitimate pro- product versus an illegal product, the process to bringing it to the masses is the same, right? And so when you think about this particular population, creativity is the very spark of criminality, right? And so, you know, usually the problem that you're trying to solve is how do I get some money, right? My circumstance may not be the best circumstance. And so I'm trying to figure out how to put food on the table or keep a roof over my head. And so that's kind of is the problem. That's almost like the brief, if you will, right? The brief is how do we get some money to pay these bills, keep a roof over our head. And I think you start to see, you know, criminality when those opportunities are uh, minimized. That that's like I think one half of the the equation here, and the other half of the equation. You know, we when we met last week to talk, you said something that that has sort of stuck with me all weekend, um, which is that the, the solution to an old problem is always a new lens. 
And so you have the one piece, which is that the the folks who find themselves in these circumstances um, are often extremely, you have to be creative and scrappy to, to be able to survive uh, both in, in the outside world and then, and then inside. But then there's this other element, which is that why people who have a different set of experiences can actually bring something that's incredibly valuable to, to the marketing work. Can you, can you talk about when you said that the solution to an old problem is a new lens? Sure. I think, you know, you, you start to find simple solutions to what we would think might be a complicated problem, especially when you think it, think about it from an industry level. And so, you know, you start to think about the, the simplicity of, of a problem. And sometimes you get so wrapped up in the weeds of everything that that sometimes you miss the fact that the problem that the solution to the problem is staring at you um right in your eyes right and so so i think when we think about lack of opportunity a lot of uh men and women that come from the the type of circumstances that we come from um again like i said the, the other part of the equation is the the ability to to simplify a problem if you ever ask my co-founder why did you rob banks right and the answer is always that's where the money is and so he would he would look at you know me as a drug dealer is like that's too many steps right you gotta like go and buy drugs then you gotta like get them where you want them to be then you have to sell them right and then and then you get the money. That's that's just too many steps. So why not just go where the money is and just go straight and get the money? So, you know, that's a, that's a simple solution to, to a big problem. And so, you know, we kind of value the simplicity in, in that new lens. So let's talk about, you have this idea, you have these early experiences, you then say, okay, well, they're, this is a real opportunity. How do you go about then building an agency and and finding and recruiting this talent? The hard way, <laughs> you know, like, and you know, this is something we've never done before, right? I'm not, uh, I don't come from the agency world. I don't come from um, that the the schools that produce, you know, maybe some of the the great creatives, or even from the agencies that that produce some of the great creatives, but. Um, like I said, I joined this prisoner entrepreneurship program and, you know, in this program, they provided so much mentorship. I believe I had 13 mentors in this program. And one of my mentors, a woman named Katie Dallas, happened to uh, be friends with a guy named Tim Jones over at 72 and Sunny. And so we we, we ended up meeting and I kind of pitched him this idea of, of you know, wanting to start this agency and, you know, kind of the pathway that, that kind of led me there. And immediately he had got it right. I had been on this journey for probably two years prior. And I heard no, every place that I turned from investors to uh, potential influencers to help kind of amplify the mission to accelerators and incubators, like everyone that I talked to about it told me no. And like I said, he worked for 72 and Sunny, another global agency who they understood the value, right? They understood the importance of this particular perspective 
um, on our industry and they got behind us. They helped us with our digital identity, um, helped, helped us to, you know, kind of carve out messaging into, you know, how we communicated with the world and launched us into the media in 2019, which yielded um, some interesting opportunities. So for one, uh, we went global, right? It was a global launch where, I mean, we've literally had nine governments from all over the world reach out wanting Concreates as a reentry program in their prison system, which in some of those countries, we find it funny because we're not even allowed to go because of our criminal history, <clears throat> Canada, <laughs> Australia. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, with that, with that launch, you know, brands started to come for us, right? Our first, um, our first real, real client, big, net, well, little small record label called rock nation, um, mm-hmm. came for us and, you know, we we helped uh, launch a, a artist named Casanova, who put out an album called "Behind These Scars," and you know, it's kind of just been, you know, the, the the climb from there, right? It was you know, everyone from Trojan to Adidas, Rock Nation, uh, the artist formerly known as Facebook, Meta, Google. You name it. So, at the very start, you said that the 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 mission one one important aspect of the mission is about um, changing the uh, and and removing the stigma of of incarceration. Um, can you talk about uh, you know what kind of progress that you've seen in that and and how how minds and opinions actually you know have been able to change. Sure. I think one one thing people always used to say to me was, you know, if you if you never told me you've been to prison, I would have never thought that. And so that again just, you know, kind of lends to the idea of there is an image, there is a sound, there is a demeanor, there is, you know, all of these different things that go through someone's mind with just the term incarceration or prison, right? And so, you know, every day that that had become something that I heard all the time, right? And and from a business perspective, I've always heard things like, I don't, I don't believe that that former prisoners or prisoners have the capabilities for marketing, right? Maybe some design work, right? Because you think of tattoo artists or you think of folks in prison that can draw, but maybe from a design perspective and that just always fueled us, right? It, it's always the, the, the thing where I was the type of kid where you couldn't tell me not to do something, right? Because that's the exact thing that I'm going to do. And so, and I see that in my son all the time. It's like he's the complete... Whatever I say, don't do. It's like okay, he's gonna do that. So I see that in him, and you know, growing up, you might you might start to believe that you can't blaze your own trail, or you have to do it the way someone said is the way to go about it. And here at Concrete, it's like we we just we just believe in shattering 
that that stigma, right? There is no image, there is no sound, there is no no demeanor that defines a prisoner, right? Or a former convict. It doesn't define me. It hasn't defined me. Um, and and it will not. And then one more thing before before we move on to the next question. We have spent our entire existence from incarceration to now uh, rebranding ourselves just as individuals, right? Like we we've done everything in our power, right, to 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 change that that stigma. And so collectively, um, it's it's the most fulfilling thing I, I believe I've ever been a part of. So. I- I'd love to um, just talk a little and, and, and just to make this a little concrete. As you, you gave a couple examples early on um, about sort of the inspiration for going to this business. But um, can you talk about, again, getting back to this idea of, you know, how to solve an, an old problem with a new lens, some of the work that you all have done. And, and you walked me through an example last week for Trojan. If you, uh, if you can talk about that um, that brief and, and, and where you landed. I think, I think it's just an incredible illustration of the kind of, you know, uh, what you refer to as outside of the box thinking that comes from in inside the box. Sure. I'll start this story off by saying like this work never got made. Right. But it's probably some of the most prolific, um, most radical um, thing that I think we've done and so the brief comes, right? The brief is is around Black History Month. And Black History Month, what I guess the brief was kind of suggesting is that the Black community um, is miseducated around sex education, right? And so we got all of this kind of propaganda from like the 50s and 60s where, um, you know, it was, just, it was just crazy, right? It was like, you know, it had this like star of David with like a white woman and a black man. And the copy basically said, this could be your, your daughter. And so, you know, we're like, okay, wait, what? Like, first off, we never knew, you know, that this was like stuff that they put out into the school. So the more we started to kind of dig in and do research, we realized that, you know, 13 states or so don't even have to give like accurate, you know, medical information. So we're like, okay, cool. Maybe, maybe they're onto something. Maybe the black community is miseducated. We dig in a little deeper, come to find out um, the elderly community actually has more STDs than the young community. And so we're like, well, maybe this isn't a black problem, right? Maybe this is a societal problem. So now that we're thinking about kind of these societal truths, as we start to go into that territory, we realized that at some point in the mid 90s, all the way up till now, um, well, let me backtrack before I get to that part. The the idea is, you know, Trojan obviously being a a condom brand. Like, how do we how do we play with the word fuck? in the messaging. And so we're doing research. We find there's like 147 different ways to use the word fuck. And so this societal truth that I started to kind of lead to, it had become popular in the mid nineties up until now. 
it's a long time, right? We're talking 95 to, you know, at the time, I believe it was 2020. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about 25 years society had found it super cool to not give a fuck, right? They're like, I have zero fucks to give. There's books written about it. The subtle art of not giving a fuck. And so, again, more research, more research. We discover that, you know, Gen Z, millennial folks, um, they actually do give a fuck about what a brand stands for, right? Like, they will pay more um, for a product if there's, you know, some type of social um, impact behind, you know, the messaging or the product or, you know, if there's a give back sort of thing. And so the idea kind of just became Trojan gives a fuck. And Trojan gives a fuck be, was, you know, designed to be this philanthropy arm, right? Where in all of these different tentpole moments, Trojan could have, um, you know, kind of just showed the world how they gave a fuck about Breast Cancer Awareness Month or, you know, Veterans Day or, you know, any any type of tentpole moment that they wanted to show up for, you know, that was the idea. Yeah, no, I mean, that that to me um, was a perfect illustration of the kind of thing that I, I think you might be less likely to get from another agency. And uh, so I, I guess one question that's interesting is that obviously, so you, you, you come up with this idea, you, you have this kind of work to, to point to. Um, and, and I guess one of the questions is, you know, when you're trying to get clients and actually build the business, you know, what's the gap sometimes between people liking the idea of what you're talking about and then actually signing on the dotted line or going along with the the plans? Like how, how are you actually building the business and how do you, even when people say, oh, I like this idea, is there still, you know, stigma or hesitance that you have to, to kind of work through? Well, yeah, I think, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is like when you talk to creative folks, Creative folks get it, right? They understand like what makes a cool idea. You know, they can see the process. But then when 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 you're not in front of those people and then they have to go back to stakeholders and, you know, I think the bigger you get sometimes um, to be malleable or to be, you know, you know, risky or, you know, things like that, I think um, a lot of folks just want to play it safe. And I think that's the reason why, uh, MeUndies was so such a great client, is such a great client because, you know, they kind of still have that scrappy startup um, energy. And so, you know, a few kind of barriers, I think, are just systemic, right? I think um, one of the things that we kind of run into a lot is when you deal with these big companies, they always have this kind of clause in their MSA um around background checks and you know we kind of fight that right we fight against it because it kind of just doesn't make sense to give us a background check when you know we're not going to pass it right like there's it, it it's counterproductive right it's like you're hiring us because we exist you know as as con creators um and there's no there's no way we're going to pass a background check. The The CEO co-founder has criminal history. The CCO, the executive creative director, business affair, everybody has criminal history. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the barriers I think that 
that we've kind of been able to kind of overcome. And then the other thing is we're we're fairly new, right? We've um, had some successes, right? We've done some some pretty successful things with like United Airlines, who you know I really think indeed should partner with, but um, that's a whole other conversation. But you know, you know, a lot of folks are you know they're they're still kind of they're curious, they're interested, and still a little nervous. If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Devin Price, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Vincent Bragg after this break. So... When when you talk about the, the the mission, clearly, you know the, the the big idea is to is to change these broader perceptions and and to do great work along the way. I mean, it's it's really about actually doing. You can't do any of that unless you're you're doing great creative work. But clearly, you're also. I mean, you're you and your co-founders' lives have changed, and and the people who who are working with you, both on on the outside and on the inside. Can, can you talk some just about the impact on on the people's lives? Who who are who are part of Concreates and and what you've been able to see happen for for you and for them? Yeah, and, and so when when you when you look at and I always like to use my co-founder Joe as the 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 prime example, right? And the reason why I use him as a prime example is this man served seventeen and a half years in federal prison, right? He robbed twenty seven banks from the age of sixteen to twenty two. So when he went in there, he was he was he was a baby, right? I could think about where we all were mentally, spiritually, you know, um, at 22 years old, and for someone like him to 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 start receiving briefs while in prison, you know, every day that's what he woke up to do, right? He woke up to solve these problems when we were just babies, right? We were just a a, a young young agency trying to, you know, even doing free work, right? Just to to be able to show like what what we can do, right? And so every single day he's he's creating, he's creating, he's creating. He's calling my phone. Hey, what you got? What you got? You know, hey, I had this idea. And it became annoying, right? It's like I I can't really build a business if I have to stop and and you know, entertain basically in every idea that you have because it's so many. So I thought, you know what? What I'll do is I'll challenge him. I'm like, think of like the top 10 brands that you want to do something for. And I want you to, to create a brief and I want you to solve your own brief, right? And I'm thinking, you know, this this will give me, you know, some time, right? It'll give me, you know, two weeks or so to to you know, continue what I'm doing on the outside. And I would say no, no more than 48 hours left. It was done, right? It was done. And so when I think of the, the impact, it always comes from a standpoint of like finding passion and purpose, right? To be able to show someone that, Hey, you can create and these things can get made, right? And these things can can impact a brand. They can impact the people that that brand may service or serve. 
it, it gives you hope, right? When especially sitting behind those walls, you know, for, you know, a sentence of 20 years, 30 years, life in federal prison means you don't come home from that. There's no parole in, in, in federal prison. And the most dangerous thing you can give someone is hope who has nothing. And so to me, the impact has, has always been hope, right? Like light at the end of the tunnel, there is something to come home to. And that's what I left the men with is hope. You can come home to something. And that was my promise to my co-founder is that I am going to build a place for your imagination to live and play in. And I kept my word. So our mission as a business, um, obviously, is to, is to help people get jobs. And in particular, we, um, we spend a lot of time thinking about barriers to employment. And um, there, are, there are so many of them, but, but um, you know, we were talking about this before. Uh, a, formerly, a former incarceration is the one uh, barrier where it is completely legal to discriminate. So there's, there's a whole host of, of um, areas of discrimination that are illegal, but happen anyway. But when it comes to someone who has a criminal record, it is in the U.S. 100% legal to deny someone uh, em- employment because of that. And and the statistics, I think many people are familiar, but for anyone that isn't, there's 70 million American adults with a criminal record, which is you know, one in five, which is astounding. And it's, I mean, that's, you know, America is far ahead of the world with that. Um, so when we think about what uh, what it means to to try to help people who've been incarcerated get jobs, and if we want to uh, give this opportunity for for a second chance, um, what are some of the things that that certainly indeed can and should be doing, but but other employers can and should do to to maybe try to learn from from your experience that you know there is uh, a huge amount of talent and creativity out there, and and especially in a time when we have record low unemployment and people talk about how hard it is to hire. There's so much talent out there. What, 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 what can we do? So I always, I always use this as a, as a springboard, if you will, for, for that question. And they taught us how to read in school. They never taught us how to read between the lines. Right. And so when you think about an employer, HR, you know, those sorts of folks, when it comes to folks with criminal history, it's really about reading between the lines, right? And so when you think about some of the transferable skill sets that maybe I mentioned before, um, it starts to paint a different picture about uh, this individual being more of an asset than a liability to to whatever organization that we're thinking of. And, you know, if if there was an ask, right, it would be for companies like Indeed and Concretes to partner up on what that really looks like. What is in between these lines um, that that maybe you guys are missing or maybe that the employer might be missing. And so, you know, when it comes to our experience, there's, again, so many different barriers. It's not just employment, right? There were, there were institutions that wouldn't even take my money. The thing about that. 
Like, what am I supposed to do with my money? Where is it supposed to go? How am I supposed to get my money to work for me? If you won't take it and put it in a CD or you won't put it in, in into the market, right? And so, you know, there's there's housing barriers, right? There There's all of these sorts of things that we have to think about. What does it look like between the lines, right? And so that would be what my ask would be, right? Is let's work together to to read between the lines together. So your experience and and experience of some of the folks that you've been able to work with, um, where you had access to mentorship and opportunity while you were on the inside, that's that's clearly not universal. Sure, um, sure. and. Uh, again, the criminal justice system in the U.S. is, in terms of scope and scale, is just bigger than anywhere else um, that the world has ever seen. When we look back from future generations at at, at the criminal justice system and the prison system that we have now, um, and 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 how we treat prisoners, what what do, what do you think the the future uh, view of where we are today will will look like? And I know we 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 talked about this before, but you know, again, my answer may may change and evolve. And you know, when you think about just the history of of uh, the criminal justice system, it hasn't it hasn't changed, right? Like this was the answer to slavery. It's literally the answer to slavery. Okay, we've abolished slavery. But the money's too good. How do we, you know, it is a part of our uh, economic engine, right? Slavery made America a superpower. We could deny that. We can agree. But as a fact, slavery was what made America a superpower in the world. And so you don't just cut that off because some paper says that you can't do it anymore. And so when you look at things like the 13th Amendment, you begin to see how the prison industrial complex became the answer to slavery. Like you said, this is the only, only way that you can discriminate it is the only way that you can enslave someone. Our Constitution says it. If It says it. So... If we're thinking about future generations looking at it, if we aren't the ones who who change from a systemic level, they're going to be saying the same thing that I'm saying. It's, it, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And it will not change. It's up to us now. Yeah, and uh, for, for anyone who's listening... Um, uh, my guess is most people who are listening, this is not a new idea. But if any, if this is a new idea for anyone, I have a couple of recommendations. Uh, if you've got an hour and a half, Ava DuVernay's documentary, 13th, um, that's the quickest introduction to this. If you've got a little more time, uh, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow uh, is an extraordinary book that just lays out the entire history of, of, of how we got here and the reasons why it's so difficult to deconstruct because there's a financial system that is powered by this. And um, so, so clearly. One, one more recommendation. There's also, oh, please, there's yeah. also a book out there called data driven Jim Crow. I yeah. 
think you should take a look at um, if you're interested in, in traveling down this rabbit hole. I'll add that to my list. Um, so, so clearly there's a, there's a huge amount of work to, to actually change the systemic issues around that, that, that have led to this and, and, and to deconstruct the system itself. Let, let's talk about the fact that, um, this, the solutions are simple though. They're, they are simple. I mean, there's 4,800 brands that benefit off of prison labor. And when you think about that, most people getting out of prison can't even work for these corporations that that they're working for, right? And so while they're in prison, that switch, hey, you worked for us answering phones while you're in prison, come home and work for us and answer phones by creating that pathway is a very simple solution to, to, to a problem. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. And so... You know, I, I never want to just be the person that uh, points out the problem. We all know that this is a problem. So, you know, again, we're talking about reading between the lines. What are the simple solutions to um, evolve in the system where it's not such a such a big shift that it becomes scary or radical like some of the ideas that maybe we might present that don't get made? So, so let's talk about the other side, which is the, the system itself. Um, but then how do we keep people from entering the system in the first place? So just going back to, you know, one of the first things that, that you said around creativity without opportunity is what leads to criminality. How, how can we start to create systems where that creativity can get channeled into, I mean, one of the things when we first met, you said, uh, you know, if I had known that I could make money from my own thinking, you know, I, I wouldn't have had to go into selling drugs. I would, I would have been doing that. How, wh- what can we do to, to actually create more opportunity? I mean, this is one of the things that we say it indeed, uh, that talent is universal, opportunity is not. So how do, how do we create more opportunity to help people from ever having gotten involved in the system? Well, I think, I think the generation... The generations before before me, right? Like my father and my grandfather, you know, a, a potential solution uh, would be trade, right? There's no real trade anymore, right? There's no trade school. You can't like in high school. You used to be able to go to like metal shop and you know wood shop, right? And you know those things don't really exist, right? And 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 again. You know, I don't know if if creativity is 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 valued at the level um, that it should be because there is no creative in informative years of of schooling, right? There's there's those are the kind of things that are you know kind of shied away from, and so you know when when you start to be able to allow your children to dream, right? Allow them to be creative. Like I I pretend with my son all the time. I never want him to lose his imagination and his ability to, you know, take a blanket. And in his mind, we're camping. We're there's monsters outside of the tent. Like I'm in that world with him, you know, and I'm, I'm helping guide that, that bit of his imagination. And, and I think we do it, we do it to a certain extent, but at some point 
when when we get to our education, um, it's about you know kind of just regurgitating information, and there is no um, the the creativity lens kind of gets shut down, and so you know I think that's the way to do it. We got to reach the, the the babies, and we have to you know create and foster um, those 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 kind of things that we might find inconvenient. And an example of what I mean by it might be inconvenient is, you know, I get this call from my cousin one time and he's just like, you know, I really need you to talk to, to, to Gregory. You know, he's, you know, they're calling him a class clown and, you know, it's really disruptive in school and I can't, you know, I don't know how to reason with him. And I'm like, what is the problem with being a class clown? Like maybe he's a comedy writer. Maybe we should write some sketch comedy with him. Maybe we should take him to comedy clubs and let's foster that energy, right? That energy might be inconvenient to the person standing in front of the class, the teacher, right? It might be inconvenient for you to have to go to the school or to have to sit on the phone with the teacher and, you know, basically lie to her and say, you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to fix it. You know, like, no, it's something that's in him and, and and we need to foster that. And so, you know, when you think about, like, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's, you know, one of the biggest comedians on earth is Kevin Hart. Like, how do you know, like, you're not stifling the next him or someone who's going to blaze a, a, a bigger path than him? Absolutely. Um, well, we... Uh... I could I could talk to you all day long. We're we're running low on time. Uh, as uh, we we always close out with the same question. I'd love to hear your thoughts with with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years, which has been a time of extraordinary you know suffering and and challenge and difficulty for for so many people, but um, has also been for many people a, a time of inspiration. What what have you seen or or experienced in the last? you know, two and a half years of the, of the pandemic that has left you with some optimism and hope for the future. Yeah. People are just more kind. Like that's, you know, I always say this to people. There's a difference between being nice and being kind, right? Kind is something completely different than nice. Nice is almost fake, right? Nice is, that was the nice thing to say, even though that might not be the most truthful thing to say or the thing that that person needed to hear, right? But kind is what we're starting to see in this world, right? We're starting to see um, people just being more empathetic, right? Because we all we all basically went to jail. Beginning of the pandemic, the whole world went to jail. Not prison, but definitely jail in 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 a certain regard, right? And, and of course, if you don't know the difference between prison or jail, there is a huge difference. And and that's what happens. So we all have this kind of shared lived experience that maybe some folks don't know how to articulate, but you start to understand why companies like Concreates have sprung up and it all comes from that lived experience. Well, um, but before we uh, before we sign off, uh, for folks who want to learn more about Concreates, where where can they go to get more information? Uh, Concreates dot com. You know, obviously reach out. I'm super approachable. I'm not uh, 
too big for it for anybody's conversation. Um, yeah, concrete.com. You know, there's emails you can reach out to us on. You can see some of our work up there. Um, yeah. Well, Vincent, uh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for for joining and, and sharing your experience with us. But really, thank you for everything that you're doing and um, uh, anything that we can do to to help you in this mission. We're we're on board. Well, I appreciate you, and you know, you, indeed, you guys again, right? There's there's work for us to be doing together. You know, I'm super excited to be on this mission and and and, and partnering with you guys as well. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.